Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our May 24th service. Glad you could join us. This morning, I want to start actually with more of a call to confession. Right now, it's very easy to let our fears control us. We let doubt become the way of life for us. But if we but look, we can still see our lives and our world cradled in God's loving hands. During this time, we need to turn back to God. Even as we trust the one who has promised to listen to our words as well as our hearts. Let's pray to him this morning. Lord, fear. It can be such giants in our lives. Each day our fears, our doubts, our worries wash over us until we come to believe that maybe you don't care for us the way you, we thought you did. There seems to be so much wrong in the world. We're convinced that there's nothing good we can do. The storms of sin and temptation batter at us and we cower, unable to find the faith to withstand them. Lord, remind us that if we but open our hearts, you will heal us. You will give us courage. If we but listen to your words, we will hear peace and joy. If we but open our lives to you, we can go forth. We can serve even in the midst of this time, just as we've been served by our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, I ran across an explanation of this stay-at-home time of COVID as being surprisingly like sailors at sea. When they see a large storm coming and they had to prepare to weather the storm. I was actually kind of surprised when I heard this because I thought it's such a great analogy. I'm surprised I hadn't heard it before. Because on a ship, especially in olden times, when there was a storm coming, initially they would reduce sail, you know, eventually reducing it to nothing, to raising the sails to what's called run under bare poles. They'd batten down the hatches, you know, close them securely. You know, this would cut out most of the light and fresh air for those below, but it prevented water getting in, and that was more important. There'd be a lot of tying down of anything that could move, strengthening existing lashings, you know, you really don't want a few tons of a loose cannon rolling around and smashing a hole in the side. They might order some food because it would be 
a while before anyone would eat again once the storm hit. Then they'd put out the fire in the galley to stop burning embers being thrown around. During the storm, the captain would keep the ship at right angles to the winds and waves, so the motion wouldn't be too bad, but the noise would be horrendous. Kind of feels like that nowadays. The noise of hearing about what everything's going on can be horrendous, especially if you're only listening to the difficult parts. In a ship, if you lost a mast, it would dangle off the side from the rigging and could turn the ship side on to the waves, making it roll alarmingly, possibly even breaking the remaining masts, crippling the ship. The mast could actually be slammed into the ship like a battering ram. The crew would have to use axes to cut the mast free, exposing themselves to danger. And this felt so much like what's happening with the people who refuse to see the COVID as the threat it is. They're going out and protesting and it can feel like they're threatening the whole ship. And in fact, others have to go out and expose themselves to solve the problem. For the ship, the gaps between planks was filled with old rope and tar. And this would work loose in a storm. So someone would actually have to monitor how much water was getting into the bottom of the boat. And they'd send more men to the pumps to try keep up with the leaks. They have to get tired and need rotation. This just makes me think of what's going on with our healthcare workers. Trying to plug the leaks to fix up those who get sick, getting tired and having to take shifts. But for the ship, as the water does manage to build up inside, it adds a huge amount of weight, which adds extra stress to the structure. And it actually also reduced the stability as the water sloshed around and threatened to take the whole ship under. Once again, it makes me think of our healthcare system. And now we hear that it might be coming close to the brink. It's doing better now, but there's still that fear. Can our system survive this? Any storm big enough to wreck a ship probably wouldn't be survivable in a small open boat either. So they'd wait for the very end to abandon ship. And they'd probably stock the ship's boat with food and water if they were worried. And larger ships, they carried a lot of rock as ballast. So when the water does get in, it go, the ship goes down really quickly. Well, an open boat is basically wood and will swamp and float just under the surface and could be bailed out once the storm was passed. It wasn't true for the larger, heavier ships. So when the ship went down, sailors didn't have a lot of time. They needed to be prepared and they made sure they were.
In a lot of two ways, we too have prepared for this COVID that feels so much similar. We've stored extra food and water. We keep a, a eye on our levels of COVID around us, which fortunately for us here in Cornwall is very low. And we're all trying to weather out the storm. The big difference is that sailors didn't expect to weather a storm for months at a time. And I think many of us didn't think we would have to either at first. But here we are. We are weathering the storm. And it's easy to think we're weathering it each in our own ships of our homes, but I don't believe that's the case. That we are weathering it together. That support is there. When I think about this storm analogy, it also made me think of another storm. The one from Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to provide some context to this passage. Jesus has just finished a long day of teaching by the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God in parables. Stories woven through with imagery from everyday Jewish farm life. These parables speak of how the kingdom of God comes like a farmer sowing seed, or like a mustard seed planted small, but over time, growing into a large plant that offers shade even to the birds of the air. But after a long day of such teaching, Jesus had grown tired. Who among us wouldn't have? And so after evening had come, Jesus and his disciples begin to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But the calm after a long day doesn't last. Soon a great and violent windstorm arose, the type of which the Sea of Galilee was well known for. The fishing boats used by Galilean fishermen at that time had low sides so that the men could cast and draw in their fishing nets easier. And it would have been easily battered by the winds and the waves. 
Indeed, Mark tells us that the boat was quickly beginning to be swamped by the waves of the storm. And not surprisingly, the disciples were confronted by fear. But not the ordinary fear of everyday life. This would have been sheer terror. It's the kind of fear that happens when you're confronted with something that's far larger, far stronger than you have the power to control or even to fully understand. Sound familiar? It's the kind of fear that the disciples were experiencing was that of terror for their lives. Terror of a chaotic world that seemed completely indifferent to their lives. I think this is something we're all experiencing in a little bit right now. Maybe not the extreme version of it, of instant, I'm fear for my life right now, but there's a fear of your life because this thing seems so big. So this is then what the disciples were confronted with, the terror and chaos of a great storm. And they turn to their master and find him fast asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. The fact that the verse adds on a cushion is actually quite funny, I think. It just conveys how nonchalant Jesus was. It wasn't that he didn't know what was going on. He did. He just really wasn't afraid. He didn't think of it as a big deal. So he bought a cushion. He didn't want to be woken up when the storm eventually came and he would have been bumped by the side of the boats. Jesus wasn't asleep because he had to be. Because he chose to be. And while I can laugh at that imagery, this is of course not at all amusing to the disciples. They wake him up and they ask him what any of us would have asked. Do you not care that we are perishing? It's a reasonable question. And Jesus provides an answer to them, but not in the way you'd expect. Rather than assuring them that everything would be all right, Jesus instead turns towards the wind and the waves, toward the darkness and chaos that threatens to engulf them all. And Jesus rebukes it. He rebukes the wind. Now this alone is interesting, and it's the fact that Mark uses the verb rebuke here. It's that it's the same kind of verb that is often used by Jesus when he casts out demons and other dark forces. And in the minds of the ancient Jews, the sea, the dark watery abyss, was often thought to be where demons and other forces dwelt. Jesus thus speaks in a manner very similar to how he casts out demonic forces from people. But there's something even more interesting. 
Jesus says specifically to the storm, Peace, be still. Just as with the act of rebuking the wind, Jesus commands the storm to be silent in the same way that of driving out of demonic forces. It's the same word. But here it's not demons he's driving out. It's the force of nature itself, creation. Something that only God can do. Control nature. You can see what Jesus was trying to show here. How he was the son of God. He says this and a great calm then comes over the sea. Order is established. Jesus then finally responds to his disciples. Notice he actually hasn't talked to them directly till now. He just woke up and took care of business. But then, after showing his power, he says to the disciples, Not there you go, or don't worry, you're safe now. Instead, he says, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And look at their response in verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were terrified. That was their first response. And Jesus didn't get rid of their fear. He merely transfers it from the storm to himself. Right now, there's a lot of fear about the virus. And there's a lot of wonder about what God is doing. But when we look at this verse, we are reminded that yes, while this virus can be scary, and yes, it is killing people, we don't have to be afraid of what it will do to the world. Because remember, this is God's world. He's in control. He didn't cause the virus, but the same way he's not going to allow it to destroy his world. We can take comfort in that. And here the disciples, when they're afraid, God doesn't take away their fear. Instead, he turns it and uses it for good. Here's, this is the fear that Jesus replaced. It's one of those times here in this passage where the Greek helps us out. The Greek here is a different kind of fear. It's literally feared a great fear. The terror of the storm has been done away with, but a fear of a very different sort has taken its place. This fear, this reverent awe, is what a man named Rudolf Otto famously called the Mysterium Trendum. The grand mystery that is simultaneously fearful and fascinating. It's a fear that instead of crippling, like the fear of the storm, it's invigorating. The closest example would be like a burst of adrenaline, the, the feeling people fear before skydiving or bungee jumping. 
And for the disciple, it's a fear that drives them to ask, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Everything they had seen Jesus do, raise the dead, drive out demons, heal the sick, you think they wouldn't be surprised anymore, but they are. Here they start to get the clue that Jesus was more than just a teacher, more than even just the Messiah. They wonder, who is this man? He who commands the very wind and sea to be silent. Who is this that he inspires a reverent fear, a glorious awe, greater than that of the might of the terrible storm upon the sea? The disciples are better able to handle the prospect of their own deaths than the reality of God's presence standing in the flesh among them. In fact, they're so enthralled with the question, they forget to be afraid anymore. And this is the key to how we weather storms in life like the one we're in. We don't huddle away and just cower in fear. It might feel sometimes like that's what we're doing, but it's not. In fact, what we do is we, when we huddle in fear, is we get trapped in that position. If we allow that to happen, especially right now, we get lost in the fear in our own minds. And then even after the storm passes, it becomes difficult to unwrap ourselves from the protective ball we put ourselves in. Instead, we need to trade our fears of the storms of life for the invigorating fear of God. A fear that's filled with awe and wonder. That draws us away from the fears of this world and focuses us instead on what an amazing, all-powerful God we have. It's that focus on God, on Christ, that will allow us to weather all the storms we face in life. Yes, we do still need to be physically prepared, just like the ships do when we've done for COVID-19. But even more, we need to ask ourselves, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. O God of all creation, who called every being into life, who is mindful of humankind in all its diversity, and all its fear. God who embodies us with dignity, granting different gifts and talents to shape life in this world. We ask for your spirit to unite us. Where we face lack of understanding and disunity, when we miss, as we miss our churches, we miss being part of our communities, Lord, in silence, we lay before you the burdens of our hearts, those fears and worries that have been building up, 
that this time has given a perfect chance to just grow into something bigger than it really is. Or whatever it is that's grabbing hold to each of us. We now will take time to give it to you to transform. Lord, we ask for your spirit to unite us in the face of conflict, hatred, the loss of life experienced in so many regions of the earth. And we bring to you the pain of the victims, the sorrow in the loss. We ask for your spirit to unite us wherever fear prevents us from caring for our neighbor. From being close to people of different ethnicities or cultures. Lord, in silence, we once again bring to you the brokenness of human relationship. And ask you to speak to us where we can do better. God of all creation. In Christ we are reconciled. So we ask for your uniting spirit. To help us overcome all our divisions. That we may live in peace. Amen. Now as you go receive this blessing from the Lord. Put obstacles in no one's way, but rejoice in purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. Go, knowing you are loved by God the Father, saved by Christ the Son and sustained and encouraged by his Holy Spirit. Amen.